for the study, let's go to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. Early on in our exposition of this wonderful and long collection of God-inspired hymns. Remember, the book of Psalms was the hymnal of ancient Israel. It was the songs that David wrote, and not only David, others did write hymns as well. But, but these, are, these are the inspired hymns that God gave to ancient Israel. Today we come to one of the Psalms that I, I hope and pray and trust that in the wisdom of God, in the, in the providence of God, might be a help to you where you are in your life. Maybe things that have happened, maybe things that have gone on that you will say, this psalm was for me at such a time as this. Psalm 6, how to pray when you're overwhelmed with your own sin. How to pray when you're overwhelmed with your own sin. Follow with me as I read all of Psalm 6. I'll begin with the title. It is a psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. But but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will be suddenly ashamed. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to your all-sufficient word, there's not one of us in this room who doesn't battle with sin And yet, Lord, this is the chapter that you have for us today. Lord, would you in your mercy and your wisdom and your kindness skillfully take the meaning of the text and apply it deep into our hearts, not only that we would be informed by truth, but that our hearts would be changed, that our wills would be resolved to obey you that we would love our Savior all the more. Oh, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Martin knew God. Martin was a member of a good, Bible-believing, Reformed church. But his sin gradually led him down a path that had great consequences. Martin was a wreck. Emotionally, spiritually, and physically as well. One lustful look 
would lead to many more lustful looks. At a new woman in his workplace, he would look at her and then he would look again and he would look again. And then inevitably he would come across a provocative image and with all of the looks that he had indulged in with his eyes at work, he finally indulged on his computer and he clicked on that provocative image. It opened the door for the private satanic party of pornography. Martin knew that it was wrong. He felt guilty. He felt ashamed. He felt in utter turmoil churning in his soul. His sleep patterns began to be irregular. He would become more irritable. He would be impatient. He would become quickly angered. He would be frustrated. He would be increasingly selfish and other people observed it in his lifestyle. And certainly, you could only imagine, he didn't pray as much. He would often miss his daily devotions in God's word. And then he periodically missed church. And when he did go to church, he would quietly skip out the back during the closing prayer. God, in love, pursued him. God, in love, disciplined him. Why? Sin brings consequences. And Jesus himself put it in Revelation chapter 3, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Justification can never be changed. That position, that standing can never be changed. But your intimate communion with God can be hindered by our sin. Martin was saved by Christ, but yet in the season of sin, he felt very distant from Christ. If you, in, a, in his church, were to say, Martin, what's going on? Martin would say, I just feel overwhelmed with my sin, and my suffering has affected my whole life. What do I do? What biblical counsel would you give to Martin? What, what would you say to Martin? It's a reality. We as Christians battle with sin. It's the ongoing battle until the day that we reach glory. Christians are not perfect. Christians sin. And when Christians stumble into sin, when we are remaining in sin, our God pursues his people in love. We don't want to forget the reality of biblical hamartiology, that is the doctrine of sin, even in the life of a believer. Follow with me in your outline. I give you these bullet points there at the top. Number one, sin distances your communion with God, your Father. Have you ever been there? Do you relate to that? Second of all, we need to know that sin dishonors the name of Christ. Third, sin grieves the heart of the loving Spirit of God. And sin, just the nature of sin, it never remains dormant. But it grows, it grows, it grows, and it infects. Sin is always bad, 
It always hurts. It always harms. It destroys. If anything that has been mentioned so far is resonating with you, this is a psalm for me and you. This is a psalm written by David, and I'm going to prove to you in a little bit, in a very emotional time in his life when he's overwhelmed with his own sin. It's affecting him spiritually, it's affecting him emotionally, and it's even affecting him physiologically as well. David wrote this, and we don't know the exact life setting that prompted the writing of the song. I I tend to think... Maybe it was the lustful look at Bathsheba. Or maybe the taking of that woman and then committing adultery with her. Or maybe that prolonged period when David attempted to cover his sin. And maybe it led to the intentional murder. Well, it did lead to the intentional murder, but the writing of it, maybe at that period. The prolonged period of unconfessed sin in David's life. It seems to me that that's what prompted the writing of this psalm. This is the first of what we call penitential psalms. You see that there in your outline. A penitential psalm is a psalm of confession. It is a pouring out of the heart to God of the penitent, the repentant sinner, the believer coming to God saying, oh God, forgive me for my sin. I love, I love, and I'm thankful that God has given seven of these penitential psalms. Now, you know, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, those are the pretty well-known ones of David's life, but he wrote a number of them, Psalm 6 and Psalm 38 and Psalm 102, 130, and 143. This even has the mixing of a lament psalm, kind of a, just a psalm of sadness, a psalm of sorrow, but it's a lament because of David's sin. It is a lament because of David's own iniquity. God, I'm in turmoil because of what I've done against you. Now, I want to mention this. This is important for us to remember. As believers, we need to know that as we read the Bible and understand what the Bible says about the makeup of humankind, all people are made up of two parts, right? Body and soul. All believers are made up of two parts, material and immaterial, a flesh and spirit, the external and the internal or maybe in Paul's language, the inner man and the outer man. Two parts of all people. The Bible offers medicine for the soul, and the Bible gives hope even for the body as well. But what do you do when you're at a point in your life when you're overwhelmed with your own sin? You ever been there? I've been there. What do you do when, when you, when you, it's almost like you're ashamed to pray. When you're like, man, I, I did that again. I can't believe I just did that. And you feel guilty and you feel sinful and you feel just overwhelmed by your sin. It doesn't mean that you're a non-believer. Rather, it means the Spirit of God is working in you in love. How do you pray? How do you pray when you're overwhelmed with excessive sin? I love this psalm because sometimes when you and I don't know how to pray, we can pray a psalm. 
God gives us the words right here to verbalize sometimes what we don't know how to verbalize. Three simple ways that you can pray. It's a wonderful psalm. Very simple. Number one, God, forgive me completely. Number two, God, help me physically. And number three, God, refocus me confidently. Let's walk through these together. And I I hope that that by, as we walk through it, I'm going to show you Christ. As we walk through it, I'm going to show you the hope of heaven as we go toward the end of this psalm. So hang with me. How do you pray when you're overwhelmed with your sin? Number one, God, forgive me completely. Notice verse one. Oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger nor chasten me in your wrath. I mean, David's talking about rebuking. He's talking about chastening. He's talking about discipline. Verse two, he prays for the grace of God. David has sinned and God, he knows is going to discipline him. And David says, oh Lord, be merciful to me. You know, think of the different sins in our lives. We have sins of thought, sins of words, sins of deed. We have sins of motivation, sins of commission, things that we commit, and sins of omission, things that we don't do, that we should do. There's public sin, there's private sin. There's infectious sin, there's shameful sin, there's isolating sin, there's repeated sins. Psalm 6 was written in a time in David's life, it appears to me in this psalm, when he persisted in sin without acknowledging the sin to God. And as a result, God's hand pressed heavy upon him. The consequences were devastating in David's life and in his body. And David prays in verses 1 and 2, earnestly, God, have mercy on me because of my sin. God, don't rebuke me. Don't chasten me. God, heal me. Be gracious to me. You know what we need to notice in verse 2? Do you see the words of David? Be gracious to me, O Lord. You know what he says? I need undeserved grace. I need undeserved favor. I don't deserve it. I don't merit the grace of God. I don't deserve the mercy of God. I am an undeserving sinner. God, bring your grace to me. And there is amazing grace for all sinners who come humbly to the Lord. In the lies and in the deception of sin. Listen, Satan will tell you and your mind will deceive you. Oh, I'm ashamed I can't come to God. Maybe he won't forgive me. In the lies of sin, you need to come to the sufficient grace of the Lord. You need to come to the ever-flowing grace of the Lord Jesus. Sin, sin of David has emotionally tortured him. It has wounded him. In fact, if you look at verse three, look at what David says. My soul is greatly dismayed. And we know that David is a wreck. Why do we know that? Verse three is an incomplete sentence at the end. 
Kind of like you and I. When you're emotionally a wreck, it's like hard to have a conversation with you. We just say incomplete sentences. David does it. But you, oh Lord, how long? How long? It's an important lesson for those overwhelmed with the burden of their own sin. In your pain, in your lament, in the guilt, what do you do? Go to God. You go right to God. We don't question God, nor do we want to go to other people and complain about it to others. But we want to go right to God. Let me remind you of this. The Lord Jesus loves to show grace to humble sinners. Jesus Christ has eager willingness to forgive you. Jesus has complete knowledge of all that you and I do. And he has infinite father-like tenderness to receive us. You know what David is doing in verses 1 to 3? He's confessing. He's confessing. Confession is agreeing with God. It's agreeing with what God says about your sin. Sometimes we think, well, if I just confess my sin, uh, I'm, I'm okay, and that's all I need to do. Well, confession is simply agreeing with what God says about your sin. It's verbal humiliation. Confession is dealing seriously with your own sin. And when we think about confession biblically, there's always two elements that we want to remember. Confession includes the admission of your sin and contrition over your sin. You got to own it and you got to mourn over it. Those are the two elements included in confession. Repentance is a necessary step, but that's following confession. A confession is, Lord, I own my sin. I admit it. And then it's mourning over my sin. I, I'm contrite. I'm humiliated over it. Lord, I'm, I'm broken over my sin. By the way, speaking of heart inner turmoil. I want you to look with me at verse 3. Do you see right there in verse 3, my soul is greatly dismayed? Out of all of the phrases in the Old Testament, Jesus quotes that when he thinks about the cross. Not that Jesus was a sinner. He wasn't confessing his sin, but the inner turmoil, the, the inner turmoil. Jesus said in John 12, 27, now my soul is greatly troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. It is for this purpose that I came to this hour. You see, in, G in John 12, 27, Jesus quotes Psalm 6, verse 3, acknowledging the inner hurt, the pain. You know what that teaches? When you have inner turmoil, your Savior can relate. He wasn't a sinner, don't get me wrong. He wasn't confessing his sin, but the inner turmoil, as he knew that he was going to face the cross and become the sin bearer, he can relate. He can relate to you. When you're overwhelmed with your sin, number one, you pray, Oh God, forgive me completely. And you know what? We read it earlier. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous 
to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us. A second way that you can pray, look in your outline. When you're overwhelmed with your sin, number two, God, help me physically. Help me physically. Now in verses four to seven, it's like we see the full orbed suffering in David's life. I mean, he, he felt God was angry with him. He, he lacked a sense of the presence of God. And now David can't sleep. I mean, his life is just kind of falling apart. Verse four, return, O Lord, rescue my soul. You know what that means? Return. Lord, I, I, feel, I feel distant from you. Lord, I feel, I feel like there's a, there's a wall between us. I feel like when I pray, it, it's just kind of bouncing off the ceiling. God, I, I feel like you're far from me. Lord, return. It's an emphatic verb in the Hebrew. God, you must return right now. Rescue my soul. The word in Hebrew for rescue in verse 4 has the idea of I'm in the mouth of a predator and I'm about to die and I need you to snatch me out of danger. I need you to rescue. I need you to snatch me out of danger. Now, hear this again. Hear this again. Sin does not break your relationship with God as a believer, but it can be a hindrance in the close fellowship that you have with your father. It can be a hindrance to the communion that you have with God. So what, what, what do you do? You say, well, well, I, I don't want to be far from God or distant from God. Number one, what do you do? Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. Number two, be tender in conscience. When your conscience is plaguing you, confess that to the Lord. Number three, confess at the very first impulse of sin. Rather than prolonging it, pushing it away, ignoring it, and cherish. Can I use that word? Cherish the Spirit's reproving work. It hurts when the Spirit of God pulls out the scalpel and cuts deep. Rather than running from it, let's cherish that and say, thank you that you love me enough to expose my sin. And don't forget verse 4, how it ends. Notice what he says, save me because of your covenant love. God, don't save me because of who I am. Save me because of your love. I, I cast myself upon your covenant love. Verse 5, after all, Lord, there's, there's no mention of you in death. In Sheol, that is the grave, well, who's going to give thanks to you? Now, don't, don't over-spiritualize this. David is emotional here. He's not giving a, a big theology of end times. He knows there's a, an afterlife. He knows there's heaven and hell. David has written that a lot, and we're going to see that in the Psalms. All David is saying is, the grave is near, and my body is going to be cold and lifeless and decaying. But God, I want to praise you now. I want to praise you publicly. There's no hallelujah in the graveyard over there. Lord, keep me alive so that I can praise you. It's so bad. Maybe you can relate and stick these in your in your. Heart and mind when the difficult times come. Verse 6, I am weary with my sighing. Can you relate? 
Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. It's just, it's poetry. It's poetry. Deep, overwhelming grief. I feel like I'm just drowning in my grief, oh God. My, my bed is just drowning me in my grief and my tears. Let's zoom out for a minute. What, what, what is David doing? David has sinned, and then he sins again, or maybe we can personalize it. You sin, and then you sin again, and then you confess your sin, but then you sin again. And now you're ashamed, and you just feel like indulging. You just feel like giving in. I've tried resisting. I tried to confess it. I tried to turn from it, and I'm not. And you're tempted to just say whatever. And you give in. God in his strong love knows you. He chases you. He disciplines you. And God in his grace increases your guilt to lead you to confession. To lead you to confession. Let let, let me build on that for a sec. When the Spirit of God brings guilt to your heart, when the Spirit of God brings guilt to your heart, when he brings sin to your mind, iniquities before your life, transgressions in your conduct, irreverence in your worship, whatever it could be, be quick, be swift to confess your sin to the Lord. Go with me here with this analogy for a moment. It would be easier for you to shovel away one snowflake when it falls than it would be to wait a few days and try to shovel away a few feet of cold, icy, hard-packed, frozen, heavy snow. It, it, it Take action swiftly, immediately with your sin, at the very impulse of your sin, rather than prolonging. The sin. It's harder to shovel it away than we keep short accounts with our God. One, one way that I've thought about this in my own heart and life, and I've counseled others, don't show grace to your sin. Don't show grace to your sin. Don't permit any sin to have a home in your heart. Every sin is a thief invading your heart, invading your life. And you have to shut the front door and keep that thing out. Don't hold on to sin. Don't coddle your sin. Don't permit sin. Don't welcome sin. Don't flirt with sin. Don't play with sin. And sin loves to invade through a small crack in the door. But when it invades through a crack in the door, it invades the whole home. So what do we do? What do we do? I think I put this in your outline. How do we confess? Number one, confess quickly. Quickly. Don't forget, part of the beautiful ministry of the Holy Spirit is to show you your sin. I mean, that's that's the good. He's, He's to reprove you and me of our sin. We are to confess honestly. We are to confess particularly. We are to confess continually. And you know what? We are to confess looking upwardly. I made up that word. Looking upwardly. 
And that's where the end of the psalm comes in. Look at number three in your outline. How do we pray when you're overwhelmed with sin? Number three, God refocus me confidently. What I love about all of the penitential psalms, guess what? All the psalms, they don't leave you wallowing in your sin. The psalmist brings himself out with hope looking to God. And that's where you and I need to go. We need to refocus. We need to look up. We need a refocused heart. We need a confident assurance in our God. Verse 8, look at what David prays. And look at what he says. I think he's talking as the authoritative king of Israel. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. Like, I've, I've had enough. Depart from me. All you who do iniquity. What's David the king saying? All the wicked, get away. Interesting. You know this really well. I know you do. Because at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, in perhaps some of the scariest words, Jesus will declare to those who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? Jesus will quote Psalm 6. Depart from me, all you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. Jesus, when he says that, he's quoting Psalm 6. What's the point? That there is a judgment coming for the evildoers. There's a judgment coming and David is saying in the psalm, depart from me, all you who do iniquity. I know judgment is coming for you. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping, he prays. There are three times in verses eight and nine, David is confident. The Lord hears. The Lord hears. The Lord receives my prayer. What assurance, what hope. Even my enemies will be ashamed. My enemies will be dismayed. My enemies will be suddenly shamed everlastingly. Verse 10, all of my enemies will be ashamed. All of them will be dismayed. They will all turn back. They will be suddenly ashamed. In David's confession, he hopes in the Lord. He hopes that God will protect, that God will vindicate, that God will hear him, and that God will receive him. But let me, let me make this practical before we draw this to a close. What you and I need to glean from this is that your sin and your suffering now that you battle with, the, the, the real battle that you have in your Christian life with sin, it's not how it's always going to be for the child of God. Because the end goal of this psalm and the end goal of all the penitential psalms is to teach you and me to look forward, that we ought to comfort ourselves with beholding the day when all warfare will be done. When all temptation to sin will be done. Yes, sin and sorrow will be no more. Confusion will cover our enemies when all the troubles plague you one day in glory. That will be exchanged for a robe of perfect joy and glory. 
Every tear that you shed now will one day become a sparkling crown upon your head in heaven. All the sighs and the groans that you have as you battle sin and you battle temptation and you're seeking to walk through this world of spiritual warfare, all those signs and grows will, will turn to songs of heaven. Your faith will be turned into sight when you behold the beautiful face of God. David doesn't wallow in his sin. He acknowledges it. And we're going to see many more of that as he confesses his sin. But there's hope at the end, and I want you to hear that. Even though sin can take us low, we need to look upward and forward to the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. Another Penitential Psalm, Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. And then the next verse of Psalm 130. For with the Lord there is abundant redemption. I love that phrase. Abundant redemption. Not not a little redemption. Not a half redemption. Not a quasi-redemption. Not a partial redemption, an abundant redemption with the Lord. Christian, Psalm 6 is what you and I need. When you're overwhelmed with your sin, you can pray to God. You can come before God. You know that God is faithful. You know that he'll hear you. You know that he is gracious. And you know that he'll receive your prayers. And one day all the enemies will be judged and you'll be brought into glory with no more sin, no more temptation, no more tears, no more sighing, no more affliction, no more spiritual warfare. Hear these words and be refreshed and comforted by them. It's a hymn that we love. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon And cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Do you believe that? I do as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you and call you our Father. Those of us who have come to Jesus Christ by saving faith, You are not our judge. You are not our executioner. You are our Father, our Abba, the one who showers grace upon grace upon grace. Even when we sin, there is grace. Even when we sin again, there is grace. You carry us. Lord, perhaps there are some of my brothers and sisters in the room here who are overwhelmed with their sin. Sins that they're battling, sins that they're fighting, sins that they're resisting, sins that they don't want to give in anymore. 
Would you grant strength and help to confess? And Lord, a proper focus that one day in heaven, one day in heaven, there will be no more hurts, no more pain, no more sorrows, no more suffering. Oh, may that day come quickly when we behold the face of God. Thank you that your grace is greater than all of our sin. In Jesus' name. Amen.